everybody. This is Matt Hewitt, the host of Into the Fryer, Ramblings from the Kitchen podcast. I just want to thank everybody for listening and remind you that you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. You can listen almost anywhere you can find podcasts to our little show. We all, I also have the blog, uh, Into the Fryer podcast. It's on WordPress. I think you type in Into the Fryer podcast. .wordpress.com. You'll find the blog. I cover a myriad of different topics there. I also wanted to let you know that if you would like to be a supporter of the program, you can go into the notes or somewhere there's a link. Like if you open up on Spotify and then pull up the show notes, uh, there's a link that says sponsor the program. Or if you go on Apple, there's something similar. Um, if you wanted to donate to the program on a monthly basis, more than welcome to. Totally appreciate that, but that's you know neither here nor there. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about is that it's November, November for another couple of weeks, and um, we'll, I, I'm doing a fundraiser. Uh, you could check out Into the Friar, uh, Friar at Friar Pod on Twitter, or um, check out any of my other social media feeds m underscore hewitt on instagram there's a there's a link there um fryer into the fryer podcast on facebook i think i have a link there but and if you're interested you could send me a message on anchor and ask me about how to donate but i just want to thank you all for listening and i hope that you enjoy the show peace What is up, everybody? Welcome to Into the Fryer Ramblings to the Kitchen podcast. I am your host, Matt Hewitt. Today's guest is a gentleman by the name of Daniel Moreland. He is the chef de cuisine, chef extraordinaire of Proper Burger Company in Salt Lake City. Uh, Daniel is originally from Texas and just has a fascinating, wonderful story. I was so happy to that he took the time to sit down and talk to me today on this lovely Sunday morning. And I just hope that you all enjoy. He's got a lot of great, uh, great things to say, great philosophy on food, wonderful, just freaking inspirational backstory. And I really hope that you um, get something from it. It was a fun conversation for me to have. And uh, I look forward to doing it again. Thanks for listening. Enjoy Into the Fryer ramblings from the kitchen. So first of all, I'll edit all this shit out in the beginning. Don't worry about that. So we're going to get going. Ready? Yeah. All right. First, uh, I want to thank you for taking time out on a chilly, lovely fall Sunday morning to uh, chat with me on Into the Fryer podcast, ramblings from the kitchen. How are you doing this morning? Oh, man, I am still waking up, but... Doing well. It was a long week. I bet. I bet. As we get into the get closer to the holiday season, I don't know. So you're not from here, and uh-huh. I'm not from here. So where I grew up in Long Beach was like like getting close, like the weeks getting close to to Thanksgiving. Like every all the all the people that didn't move away or the people that moved away like started coming back and like hanging out and then it was kind of like a 
like a week long free for all party with all of the old high school and you know junior <laughs> high and friends. It, it, was it like that for you? Um, I guess sort of. I I grew up in Houston, but as an adult, uh-huh. I've really only lived in Austin, where it's a party all the time, twenty four seven. That's true. And that's true. And uh, so I'd go back to Houston to see my dad, and we would. You know, I'd party with my friends, but, uh, you know, in Austin, there's so much of that going on. It wasn't anything special. Sure. On the holiday. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I have, I actually have my nephew lives in, lives in Austin right now and, uh, and he, he freaking loves it. He's, he's UT all the way and like, uh, he, he didn't graduate from there, but he, we have some other fam- he has some other family that lives out there that indoctrinated him at a young age to to the UT way. <laughs> Dude, so. Austin is a blast. It is so much fun, and I really miss the music scene. It, you know, the weird thing about Salt Lake is that people want to talk about how great the music scene here is, but it's just a bunch of shitty metal. There's, <laughs> there's, you, there's no diversity. I I would I would um I don't know too much of like what the local flavor is because I just I just haven't I mean I've been here for like five and a half years or almost six years but I I don't know like like I I couldn't tell you like oh yeah that's a local band that's that's hot or like I I couldn't tell you shit about that. <laughs> and, yeah. But the funny thing is the funny the funny thing that you that you bring up about missing the music scene in Austin is I grew up in Long Beach and at the time that I was coming of age like I'm I'm a little bit older than you I think we talked about this a while back but I'm so I'm yeah. about 45 in January I graduated high school in 1992 so when I was going to backyard parties the the keggers in Long Beach in high school Sublime was usually the band that was playing and then we had <laughs> we had, and, and I tell people that and they're like f you man like you're so lame like all you do is talk about Sublime and Long Beach so I'm like no you you don't it's I didn't I couldn't like I can't account for the time I was born like and when I where I grew up it just it just is it was what it was yeah and so then yeah. so then like you had you had like like Snoop Dogg and all that kind of, you know, Dre and the Chronic and all that. And it was like, but Long Beach in and of itself, aside from, aside from Sublime had like a, and it still does, like has a super, super rich, freaking, um, super rich music scene. Like there's a band that's out now that's touring. They, they, they were here last year. They opened up for Ozzy Osbourne called the Rival Sons. I don't know if you've heard of them or not, but they're like, they're all dudes from Long Beach and they're fucking blowing up right now. And I was like, oh yeah, I used to hang out with that dude at the, you know, so and so spot, and he used to come to my restaurant, and like, you, you know, when he was, they were just not even people that you would know in the music scene. It's kind of funny that you bring that up, though. Yeah, yeah. So let's Those let's go back. Those bands that with uh, Ozzy and Black Sabbath seem to really really make it afterwards. Yeah, these guys. I mean, the guy, the singer. We'll we'll kind of we'll take a little tour through through music world uh, for a minute, but the singer. He he had a he had a I think a major record label release with his own like band, and a few of my friends were like were like dude he just sounds like Jeff Buckley when you when you hear him sing and like <laughs> like an F, and I and I and I and I'd always like like this dude's voice his, his name's J D Cannon 
and I'd always like he's got he's freaking got super ton of range like he can go like old soul and then like scream and like you know just everything like a, a, a freaking professional singer you know and and then someone and I'd never even listened to Jeff Buckley and I'm like who is this guy and then and then like someone turned me on to Jeff Buckley and I was like oh holy shit <laughs> I was like damn man this is like like a reincarnate it's like that band there isn't there that uh what's that band Greta Van Fleet aren't they aren't they from Texas have you heard of those yeah, guys? yeah 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 they are they're from Texas I think they're from uh I think they're from Waxahachie it's like a small town outside Dallas they're from some small town but I mean but that like when I close my eyes I, and listen to them I'm just like oh that's Led Zeppelin like I could yeah I could interchange oh yeah change most most definitely dude yeah, so it's funny that we miss similar things from from our hometowns or where we would call the places where we came of age. It's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I want I want to go back a little bit, and okay. well, I don't want to go all the way back to the beginning, but but you, so you grew up in Houston, and then when did you move to Austin? Um, I moved to Austin in 2010. You know, while while you were. Uh, Graduating high school in 1992. I was born in 1992, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so I moved to Austin when I graduated high school. Uh, I went to a year of college, and uh, you know, I quickly dropped out of college to work in kitchens and well, pursue the the life of the underbelly, you know. Did you um was was cooking something that you were passionate about before or are you just like, Hey, I need a job. Yeah. I'm gonna try to no, uh, tell me no. tell me how you got into it. No, well, you know, I um my mom is a trained chef. She has taken many, many professional level cooking classes and um has a degree in interior design and she never used it and she also has all these cooking classes and she never used it because she didn't really need to work and so instead she raised us and let her creativity bloom through her cooking at home and so started teaching me how to cook really as soon as I could hold a spatula. I, I actually fell off the kitchen counter cooking with my mom when I was like two and a half and broke my arm. Oh wow! And so, so she she instilled this really um, great love of cooking and making beautiful food, and really instilled this joy of serving people beautiful food in me from a very young age. And I, um, in high school, I worked at Sonic, and Sonic is terrible, and I never want to work. And, uh, necessarily a fast food chain like that ever again. And when I turned 18, I was able to work in the kitchen at Sonic. And so I moved into the kitchen as fast as I could because I thought that it would be really fun. And a week later, I was yelling at my manager and I walked out on a shift. And, <laughs> um, and I, and I thought that, that, that really sucked. And, and then I, I, you know, after, I ran out of weed. I realized I need a job, so I uh, <laughs> so I got a job cooking at this place called Papado. It's um it's like a like a Houston staple. 
think it has 36 locations, but it started out as um, just two restaurants, Papacitos and Papados, by the Papas family. They have, like, a Greek uh, kitchen called Yaya Mary's, too. That they're, like, a very influential restaurant group in Houston. And that's kind of where I really cut my teeth, you know. I, I learned a lot. I got... Um, I got my ass kicked on the line over and over and over again, night after night. And that restaurant that maybe 160 people, not including the banquet room, which was often booked every night of the weekend. Sure. And, um, and so, yeah, we just got rocked and slowly moved forward through the line and was, you know, the fire station and then got manger and, uh, I became saucier fairly quickly, and then that's kind of when I really started to shine. And then my girlfriend was asking me where where am I going to go to college, and I hadn't given it much thought. And so I thought, I guess I'm going to college, but you go to college. And uh, and we went to Texas State, just south of Austin. It's this town called San Marcos, and and uh, before before school started my girlfriend dumped me and it like like we moved there a week later my girlfriend dumped me and I I was kind of left feeling like what what am I going to do and so I I was working at the top of those in Austin and I just felt like I didn't really care about school and dropped out and and stayed in kitchens and I haven't I haven't really turned around since Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And it's funny that you bring up the fact, uh, not funny, getting dumped when you move somewhere, like getting dumped by a girl is not fun, period. It doesn't matter how cool we are. (laughs) But uh, I went through a a similar breakup and being dumped, but it was with my best friend when (laughs) when we were, we were like, we had graduated high school and we were 18 and first semester of college and he's like he's like hey dude i think i'm gonna move to eugene do you want to go and i was like yeah cool and i had i was like i i had kind of given up on on going to school in southern california and, and uh it's like yeah yeah totally i, I don't want to be around you know long beach city college people the football thing i was gonna play football in college and then i like started partying and was like yeah this is not for me so we get we get to freaking Eugene, start classes three weeks later. Uh, we were like partying one night and like very deeply entrenched in some, uh, mind altercation. And he looks at me and he's like, Oh, I just want to let you know I'm moving back to California. (laughs) I mean, like, like you don't want to hear, you know, like I'm like, okay, well, the only reason I moved here was because you asked if I wanted to come. Like, yeah. I, I ended up, st- I ended up staying there for for a little while. Like, like, I didn't stay. Obviously, I didn't stay for for the duration, and college didn't work out for me. But, um, it was, <laughs> I just, I just, when you were I telling mean, me, I'm like, oh, I, we we got dumped in fairly good places. I wouldn't mind being stranded in Eugene. That sounds like a rad time. It was, it was pretty fun. I stayed, I stayed for like about eight months until, you know, it was like one of those things where 
I was actually enjoying school, doing pretty well. And my dad was like, you got to, like, I'll help you, but you got to, you got to find a job. And, and at that point in like 1993, if you were from Southern California, I would have been from freaking Mars. Not like, I did not, I did not feel, I had a few people that I made friends with that I felt welcome with, but like in the overall general populace, I did not, didn't find a job and be somewhat, uh, supporting but yeah eugene was fun i've i've enjoyed going back there on occasion and um the people that i made friends with at that point there's one of them i had like a this neighbor gal that i've gone to her i went to her wedding and i'm like still friends with her and it was pretty cool but yeah eugene eugene was a pretty fun place pretty fun place yeah so yeah so you so when you went back to papa did did you just call them and i and i think i've heard of that restaurant i'll have to do some i've heard of that chain and I have a buddy that that is uh, works at uh, Capital Grill. He's the executive chef at Capital Grill in the in the Dallas Fort Worth area. I'll hit him up and find out what find out some info on that. But so, did you just call him up and were like, "Hey, I used to work for you guys in Houston, and I'm down here yeah, in, so, in San Marcos." And so I actually um, the girl I was dating that I followed her to college, her. Her uh, dad is a master sommelier, and one, at the time, he was one of two master sommeliers in the entire country. And he was the sommelier for the Papa's Corporation. And um, her mom was the vice president, I, I don't know what you want to call it, vice president or, or coordinator of uh, bar drinks for the Papa's Corporation as well. Mm-hmm. And so they actually got me the job at Houston, and it was I I I still respect her parents greatly. I uh, had a really great relationship with them, and um, and you know they really stuck their neck out for me. They said that they usually don't hire experience, and and uh, it's a hard kitchen, and and if I think then they they would see that as a uh, well, disrespectful to them if I don't work hard. Right. And, and I did a great job, and I think they really respected me for it. And so when I needed a job in Austin, even though I had broken up with, or well, I guess she had broken up with me, I called them up and asked if they knew the uh, executive chef at, the awesome location, and they did, and they put in a good word, and, and so there I went. Right on, man. Right on. And and so from there, you you uh, where did you go after that? Um. So I did some stages around Austin. I, I started I started feeling like I really wanted to look for a uh, a new job and. I was kind of getting tired of Papados and and not, you know I became stagnant. I wasn't really learning anything, and and uh, unfortunately at the time, as I think it is so common with um, people like you and I and people in this industry, I developed a problem with drugs, and sure. I I was selling a lot of drugs and. I was using, you know, a lot of heroin, and I, I ultimately 
that consumed my life for years and I stopped working and I uh you know, I felt like I didn't need a job. I was making so much money for my couch and and I kind of fell into this uh heroin addiction and this darkness for for a long time. And uh and I worked at some pubs and places here and there and I um I worked at, you know, little on the wall cafes but I couldn't really hold down a job and and I ultimately was arrested. There was a no knock warrant for my house and the police raided my house and I ended up going to jail for almost a year. And the the irony there is that I had actually been clean from heroin for maybe three years when that happened. Oh, wow. And and I was raided. All I had was LSD and marijuana and DMT. And but they don't really take very kindly to that. So I, I kind of felt like my life was over. And I I got this great deal, and I got um, I didn't have to go to prison, and I ended up being put on probation. And I kind of saw this as a second chance on life because the first plea bargain they offered me was 35 years in prison. Holy and, God. and so I, uh, I didn't take it for granted. I got out and I, I really focused on turning my life around. I was working at a pizza place called Valentino Pizza in San Marcos. And it mm-hmm. is, it's like a San Marcos staple. It's been there for 35 years, and it looks like a restaurant in a small town that has been there for 35 years. It it didn't it didn't smell the best. It, uh, the menu was old and needed to be updated, and and so I kind of I I was like a manager, you know, like a shift lead there, you know, and um. I worked hard, so that's the best food I could, and I really dove into this place. And over the course of a couple of years, I became the executive chef. I uh, revamped the menu. I turned it into a concert venue. We renovated the the uh, dining room, and we updated the kitchen. And I started putting out a far more superior product. And we essentially went from being very, very deep into the red to being very far into the black. And I really, really turned that place around. And I, uh, I had something I'm really proud of. I, I, you know, that it's still running now. They're still using my recipes. They're still focusing on, on, uh, on the entire aspects that I kind of wanted to bring to the table. And it's something I became really passionate about which is taking fine dining technique and a fine dining concept and food and putting it into this accessible format. Because for me, I I think that the, I think the new thing is, is fast casual, right? And I think that, um, that the reason why is as the poverty gap widens, less and less people, 
that aren't already exposed to fine food don't necessarily feel like they have the opportunity to eat fine food. And so working in places like that, you have this you have this amazing opportunity to introduce people to things they probably wouldn't otherwise be introduced to or eat, even if it is in pizza and burgers and sandwiches and tacos. Sure. You can you can make really beautiful food and blow people away and uh it doesn't necessarily need to cost them few hundred dollars to sit down and eat. And I think that there's something really beautiful in that. And um so yeah. So then then I moved to my wife I I had gotten married in that time. And my wife and I um you know, Austin kind of blew up and I I did a couple stages in Austin to kind of figure out what we wanted to do. I, I, I really wanted to leave Valentino's. I, I kind of felt done with it as well. And uh, There's this place that I did a stage at called Odd Duck in, in Austin. Um, the chef there is Bryce Gilmore. He's a super inspirational chef. He, he It's an awful-based restaurant, and he um, his, like, star dish on his menu is a carnitas made from pig face and stuffed oh, wow. into a pretzel and he serves it with different, you know, sauces and aiolis for, and the the aiolis change but the pig face carnitas stuff pretzel never changes and so he just has a lot of uh, really interesting stuff like that on his menu and, and I, I did a sauce there for a couple months and he kinda taught me he he taught me a lot of techniques that I didn't already have and and how to kind of use everything that is given to you and and think outside the box. And um, one thing that I really learned from him is how to, you know, balance and composure, how to how to balance the flavor centers on your tongue into a, a dish and, and then make it a composed, flavorful, enjoyable meal. And it, that it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be a lot going on. And you, it's in the subtleties that make dishes great. But... Austin got so expensive. It it just I mean, the rent was astronomical. It's still it's only getting higher. It to get three miles on the highway would take you an hour, fifteen minutes. It's so crowded and I mean it's like LA traffic now. And uh so we moved to Salt Lake. And the, yeah, it's 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 one of those things where like I see it kinda of happening in the in the time that I've been here in Salt Lake is like, they didn't think there was ever going to be that many people. You know, like, like the infrastructure yeah. was built and, and how, whatever time it was built and they're like, okay, this will work. And then, and then it just, you know, like getting an influx of people that want to change into a different lifestyle or as the city grows and people are, the word gets out on the coolness and you're seeing like a need for going back and retrofitting infrastructure. But I, I was standing. I was just sitting there listening in, in awe uh, of your freaking story. And man, I, it's amazing. I, I'm, I'm amazed whenever I talk to chefs. Like we're all different, all of us. But we all uh, we all have. There's a lot of a lot of my friends, and I'm sure a lot of your friends. We all have similar stories. That uh, like I, I, I can't. I can't tell you how blown away I am with your candor on 
on how you, you know, how you've gotten to where you are and the things that you've gone through. I, I've been sober for over 11 years and I, I didn't, I almost went down that road. I had a friend that was, that was a drug, you know, sold drugs, he, only weed, but, uh, like we used to sit there and like cut up, you know, the buds to make him look, to make it look like he had the best product, in the, you know, in town and like, like it was a very, you know, and then I would, I would, I worked at a couple of places where people, you know, when we started smoking weed together, you always smoke weed with the people you work with, right? And I would, oh, I would, uh, I always had the better weed and they'd like, hey, can you get me an ounce of that? And then I start, you know, you start like scheming in my mind. I'm like, hmm, how do I turn this into, and it, you know, it just turned into like mayhem and free weed. But, you know, like I, I was right there and thankfully like my buddy got busted. Uh, and you know, I just, but I'm, I'm like, yeah, I, 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 I always felt like there was a point in my life when, like, I, I always worked, but like, life was fucking just crumbling down around me every moment of every day. And like, I thought, okay, if I show up to work and I can keep my, I, like, the bills will be paid. Like, I'll, I'll have a place to live, but I wasn't doing anything, you know, like, and I have a cell phone. And then like, and then like I went from one, you know, cool apartment with a gal and then we, we broke up and then I went to a shitty apartment and then, and then like, like a shittier apartment in, in a shittier part of Long Beach. And then like I ended up in like a converted garage, you know, and I'm like, okay, as long as, as long as you know, I'm just holding on as long as people can call me, you know, they can, you know, and like I can, I can make up some bullshit story about I'm doing okay, you know, like, and then, and yeah. then, and then, you know, it's like, then like I would, you know, like you kind of achieve some success and then fall down further and then achieve more success and fall down further than before. Yeah, just I had to get off the fucking roller coaster, man. I, I, but I, I had anyone that comes from a background like you or I, where we just freaking hit the skids and like life puts us in a point where it's like fight or flight. I, I just, I freaking I'm. I'm blown away because because people tend to judge us like on based on what we did before and then it's hard to you know get those opportunities to be like getting a second chance you know it's funny that we're having this conversation today because my mom my mom's here visiting us from from Southern California and I don't think she'll mind me saying but but she's 23 years sober and like when I was nice. when I when I was uh when I was hitting my, like, I had gotten kicked out of my, you know, last girlfriend's house, and I called my mom, and I was like, hey, mom, I need to come, like, chill out for a couple months, uh, get my shit together. Like, I was working as a manager of a really successful restaurant. I was like, I need to come do this. And then and then I got disenchanted with being a front-of-the-house manager and got an opportunity to open a restaurant, quit my job. To, you know, they're like, we're going to start in, like, um, like, three weeks. So I quit my job. The very next week, the guys were like, hey, yeah, this thing might not happen for, like, six months, if it does happen at all. And I was like, holy fuck. And Whoa. Then, what? And, then the, and, so, and so, like, I'm still at that point, like, everything's cool. And then, like, the very next week, I tore, I was playing basketball with a, with a friend of mine, and I tore my Achilles tendon. And that was, like, the godsend for me because it took me down, like, not having anything to do, collecting you know, disability in my parents. My, so my mom and my stepdad, so my mom, my mom was just standing here listening to me. Um, she's 23 years sober. My stepdad, he passed away a couple of years ago. He was 20 years sober when he, but they just sat there 
and like watched me as they said it circle the drain like it just started happening so fast because i had nothing to do except freaking smoke weed party and like they never asked me for for any kind of money it was one of those things where i was like probably if i hadn't done that i'd probably who knows what would have happened I, mean, I could be dead now but but it was one of those things where like like it just I, I happened to be there and I fucking hit bottom and I went to my, you know, I had someone that I could ask for help. And I was like, yeah, you know, it, but it, but you know, then you're, 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 for me, I always call it being in the gutter, you know, I was in the gutter and, and, uh, clawing your way back out and going through all, and still life is a struggle. I don't know how it is for you, but for me, like, no, just, just regular, regular, regular life, like, like I, I encounter people and things that trouble me are like they're like why are you having trouble with that or like I'll be like I don't understand this and they're like how do you not understand it's the most basic thing and I'm like yeah my you know I, I find myself constantly going my brain doesn't compute things quite like you so you could like I could hear someone say hey Matt what's up and then I'm and then what what they're saying is hey Matt what's up and what I hear is hey Matt fuck you, <laughs> you know, like, like it's just like it's just there's a there's a disconnect in there that I need help with sometimes, and and uh, I know that I know that staying sober helps me like stay on the right side of normal for most of the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Me too, man. I I uh, if I'm not sober, the relationship between my wife and I just isn't as you know. It's usually pretty dreamy. I have this amazing, beautiful, wonderful spouse, and I couldn't have found a better partner and when I'm not sober it it just isn't as good. So why yeah. would I want to ruin that? <laughs> or any chance of like I, I just think every you know, even at my worst, I'm like I'm like, man, if I poured if I poured a fucking beer on this thing or like like put a bong rip in this mix right now, like it's not gonna make anything better. It's not no. gonna it's, no. it's just gonna get infinitely worse. <laughs> um yeah so yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I bet, was, I I bet that uh, I bet you have a, an amazing relationship with your mom now, though. I do, I do. It's, yeah, it's, it's funny, pretty awesome. funny how that happens. Yeah, I I didn't talk to my dad or my mom for maybe three years, and they're they're separated, but but li- literally not one word to them for for years, and now now I have. Definitely the best relationship with my parents out of all my siblings. In fact, I I feel like I won the, the lottery with parents. There, I have this just incredible relationship with them now. Yeah, and it's just funny how how that seems to to turn around in those moments of humility. That is, and not being humiliated, but but the, yeah. the but being humbled and and having the having the insight to. Uh, there was some humiliation along the way. I'm not gonna lie, but like that, when you talk about humility, I think sometimes people get confused and they're like, "Well, I don't want to be humiliated." And you're like, "No, humility is no. Like humbling yourself and kind of unplugging the ego for a moment and being like, wow, you know." Like I look back and I think, like when I it was probably about I was probably about 15 when I realized like I was living with my mom and my my. My second stepdad was the one that was got sober. My my first stepdad actually did get sober, I think, before my mom. But but I I did not care for that gentleman, and I was like a teenager. But I was like I was probably like, I was probably like, 
felt like 15 when I realized, like, oh, I could, I'll never be as fucked up as they are. Like, like I could get, I could get, com- <laughs> like, like, like I could get completely wasted, and I'm still never gonna be as wasted as those two. Like, literally, that was my thought. I was like, sweet, you know, it's like one of those things. Nice. Yeah, but like, I, I, I didn't like where I grew up, and I'm sure you had similar experiences. Like in Long Beach and Belmont Shore, where I grew up, like it was like a party. It, like Austin, like there was just you lived by the beach. It was like summer almost all year round. And, you know, like, if you weren't drinking, you know, if you weren't drinking 8 to 10 Coors Lights by the time you were 14 or 15, like, during the summer on a, any given night, you know, like, you or you weren't smoking weed with your friends, like, you were just, you weren't cool. You weren't in it. You weren't, like, living what the that SoCal thing was about. But, man, yeah, yeah, the relationship, like, with, I, I remember, like, my dad like, I stopped living with either parent my junior, like, mid, you know, most of my junior year and senior year of uh, senior year of high school. My dad lived in Los Angeles, and, and he was like, I told him I don't want to transfer to to a L.A. school. Like, I'm going to lose out on, on like, playing sports in my senior year of high school. And I, and I was a good student. Like, I took on AP and honors classes and all that shit, but, like, I, I was one of those, like, a summer partier and then, like, try to keep it together during school, and then and then once I graduated high school, it was fucking on. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the relationship today is much different than it was, but I had a period where I didn't talk to my mom for, like, five years from the time, like, yeah. like I, knew she, I knew she came to, like, my sporting events, and she was at my high school graduation, and then after that, like, it was, like, nothing for a while. But, uh, yeah, fuck, man. Okay, I'm going to get all misty if I keep talking about it. So um, we'll talk about that another time, maybe off off, uh, off there. Um, all right, tell me, right on. Tell, tell me about coming back to – tell me about coming back to, coming to Salt Lake. I know we – when you and I first met, you kind of gave me a little bit of background, but tell me about coming to Salt Lake. Yeah, I uh, – so – my my mom is actually from Salt Lake, and after she split from my dad, she moved up here, and and uh, I mean either coincidentally or consequentially, not really sure which one. Um, I have three siblings; they're all married, and individually, they have all made their way up to Salt Lake too before my wife and I, and and so it was an easy choice when you look at. Um, how much family I have here and we want to begin having kids fairly soon and they're all starting to have kids too. Support network that they offer is just huge for that. And and then the uh the job market's just so great here. The housing market is relatively low in comparison to the job market. It I mean, I look around and besides the weird beer laws, I wonder why no one else is moving to Salt Lake. You know, but that's that's yeah. the one thing that they uh that everyone says is that why would I want to do that because of the Mormons. But um but Salt Lake's great and uh and so because of my probation I needed a job before I could move, which kinda was a little tricky and I um I interviewed at a few places and a lot of a lot of the places that I kind of had my eyes set on liked me over the phone, but 
didn't want to offer me a job until I was actually in their kitchen and I showed them what I could do. Sure. And um, so I interviewed with Proper Burger, and they, I guess, really desperately needed someone, and they liked me, and so I took the job, and we moved up here, and I kind of uh, walked into a mess, you know. I, um, I, I, I ended up choosing to go with them. I, th- there were a couple other restaurants that had also offered me a job, but, but like I said, they, they kind of uh, fell in line with, with what I'm passionate about and, and making really interesting food, but in, into this fast casual setting and format and accessible item. And so when when I started the uh I'm the chef de cuisine there and mm-hmm. the so we you know, the, the proper company also has um avenues proper and a bar and the burger company and proper burger and on December tenth we're having a grand opening for Stratford Proper and Sugar House, which is gonna be a, a bistro and patisserie. And um and so there's a lot going on and there's an executive chef who really had only taken the position a couple months before I came on and he had been the chef de cuisine at Avenues and um the the executive chef that was there prior just left the place in shambles. He um he was fired. He, he, you know, I don't know how true this is, but I was told that they were looking for him because he was supposed to be at work. He had told Proper Burger he was at Avenue's Proper. He told Avenue's Proper he was at Proper Burger, and he was actually at a strip club. And um, <laughs> that does not surprise me that a chef would do that. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and so what I saw was a lot of potential. We had this mm-hmm. great product. We, you know, we, we do great things. And the executive chef, Jeff Springer, was really doing his best, but his attention was tied between a few different things. And um, and so I got to work. And I think the special board when I got there had, like, a cold. It was, like, a grilled cheese with cold Hawaiian-style mac salad on it. And it was disgusting. And and so I thought, like, I, you know, fuck that. I want to do whatever I want. And so yeah. I started I, I started doing it. I started making food that was at times outlandish and at times comforting. And, and like, like, for instance, um, I started presenting the burgers in a way that kind of I think my cooks were resistant to because it didn't look like a burger. It, you know, I, I did this tikka masala sandwich and it was like, I, I yogurt marinated the chicken and I, uh, made this tikka masala sauce and I, I pickled, uh, carrot ribbons with fenugreek and I like, I like rolled them up. So they like, like little, uh, cylindrical rolls and I like put them into the tikka masala and so when you serve the sandwich you have like 
this crown of carrot ribbons coming up out of the chicken. And then when you put the bun on top and you kind of squash it to eat it, it kind of unfolded these ribbons over the, over the sandwich. And, and it was, dude, it was fun. And it was like delicious. And I've never had a tikka masala sandwich like that. It was awesome. And, um, and then like recently I, uh, I smoked, I, I made my own ricotta and then I smoked it for like eight hours until it was kind of dark and I, I whipped it with uh, some herbs and, and I, I, I pickled nasturtium flowers uh-huh. that we get, that we got from Keep It Real Veggies. And, and so I, I pickled nasturtium flowers with cucumbers and we had this, these beef sliders and this, uh, I made this habanero jam. And so I paired the smoked ricotta, the pickled nasties and the habanero jam on the sliders with a fresh nasturtium leaf. It was it was fucking incredible and um and so I decided that I don't want to I you know burgers can get old so let's do something different and right. so our our static menu is what it is and our our static menu is great and we do these really weird things with uh, the burgers on special boards and and outlandish shakes and um. And I think that my crew was pretty resistant to it at first. And so in the, in the year and a half that I've been there, I, um, I have, <laughs> I have fired everyone entirely and, and restaffed, which was so hard. I kind of anticipated doing that, you know, coming, Coming into a kitchen straight into the leadership role and not working your way up is something I'd never done. And I I kind of felt like there was going to be this tough change and turnover, but I, I I couldn't have imagined how hard that actually was going to be. And so there were these, you know, four or five months of me working like 90-hour weeks, a couple times 100-hour weeks. My wife was pissed at me all the time because I was never around, and yeah. and it's really actually paid off. I have this incredible staff. I I uh, I get I get bored of what I do fairly quick, and the reason I stay is definitely for my crew. I love them. I couldn't do it without them. I depend on them. I count on them. I have days off like today where I'm not sitting there biting my nails, feeling like, why the fuck am I at home? I need to be at the restaurant. I bet it's thinking, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I don't do that anymore because I just have this super talented and amazing team. And, um, and, and they're the reasons that I'm still there. And, uh, and, Lately, things have been going so, so well. Uh, I've been receiving all these accolades that I never thought I would receive. I Legally, I'm not allowed to talk about it right now, but we might have just been filmed on a TV show, maybe. You know, I, I was going to say, I know that you brought that up to me last week, and I have a customer that I was – I have, so obviously I – you know that I work for a company that sells proteins. And I 
was covering for one of our sales reps who was out on vacation, and the guy uh, called me. One, the restaurant's right around the corner from our, from my business and from yours, Lizzie's Kitchen. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, uh, and uh, their, their kitchen, right? Yeah, and and, uh, and Moody, I think is the. I don't know, remember, but I think the owner's name is Moody. Yeah. Moody so so I. they they may be also from the TV show. <laughs> yes. Well, he he told me straight out. He told me straight out. I won't say it, but yes, he told me straight out. He's like, hey, I got this. We're doing a filming, and um, I need product by this time. So I like looked in the morning, like on Friday. At, and I'm like, oh, yeah, all the, like, for us, it's like if you see weights on an invoice, that's, you're like, oh, yeah, that's going to be, it was like 8 o'clock in the morning, and literally the freaking restaurant's like 200 yards from my from the front door of our business. And I'm like, he's like, I need that by 11. I'm like, okay, I I don't see why it wouldn't be. And it was like 1030, and he's like, dude, where's my stuff? I have so-and-so <laughs> coming in to film. And I'm like, oh, shit, let me uh, – let me see where it is. And I called that, you know, so I ended up like putting it on a hand, like on a freaking dolly and like carting it up there. But yeah, he was, he was pretty excited. And I, I almost like crashed the party because I, I, I wanted, I want to just talk shit to people on TV sometimes. <laughs> Dude, tell me about it. I, I just, the moment they walked in, I just wanted to, just to show them this is my fucking kitchen yeah and uh yeah yeah I, 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 it's a weird feeling i've heard mixed stories i've heard mixed stories so i don't know I, I would leave it up to myself to judge the person after meeting them and talking to them but it's not fair to to judge anyone like based on stories secondhand stories that i've heard from from other people i know but but i do like so Two of my, I consider them pretty good friends, um, Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Seneger. They started a, a, they're from Border Grill Restaurant in Los Angeles, and they have a couple places in Vegas, and they do a bunch of c- cool stuff. But they've been, just, they just actually won the, they were awarded the Julia Child um, Culinary Award this year. It was like a big deal. Oh, and wow. At the fucking Smithsonian and shit in, in Washington, D.C. But they were like two of the first ladies on, on the Food Network, they had a show called Two Hot Tamales, and oh, I remember cool. like really cool. I remember when when I was coming up, I was like watching them, and I'm like, like I, I didn't know them. I was just like, oh look at these two chicks, like, and I you know I just I I'm gonna offend people when I say that, but look at these two women, and I was a kid, you know, I was probably like 23, 22 years old, and watching the Food Network, trying to get ideas of like, you know, like I just I was thirsty and hungry and wanted to. You know, and be impressive. And I was like, "Where's the best way to get it?" At that point, in the early '90s, is like mid '90s is like food on. So, just a strange sort of event. My sister was also in the restaurant industry on the financial side, and she ended up being their controller for like a number of years. And and like she would call me up, like dirt you know, hey, what are you doing for this, or what are you doing for that? And I'm like, why are you fucking? Why are you asking me these questions? Like. Or uh, she would like bring bring food home. Like we were we lived together for a brief period, and she would bring food home from the restaurant. And I'm like, you guys still use aluminum foil containers? And she's like, yeah, why? What do you use? And I'm like, I use BioPack. I mean, come on. Like, like at that point, I was a little bit cocky, and you know, the arrogance and ego. <laughs> and just, you see how the rise? And I was like, I was like, 
those two ladies aren't using, they're fucking using aluminum foil containers. Like, I would think that with what they stand, you know, and I was getting on my hands, with what they stand for, they're, they should be doing it. So finally, like, she called, you know, my sister, she had asked me what product that I was using, and finally she's like, okay, they want to meet you. And I'm like, why? And she goes, because I brought your name up in a meeting, and they were like, no more, no fucking more bringing up your brother in this, in this company without <laughs> us meeting him. So I, I, like, I consider that, you know, but, it was one of those things. You're like kind of in awe at first, and then you're like, "Well, they're just people like us." And then, yeah, yeah, totally. And um, the weird thing is how people look on camera, and then you and and then, and then you meet them, and and I, the the first few moments of meeting them, I always feel like I'm just thinking, like, "Oh wow, you're actually not as fat as you look." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, uh, I don't know why, I, but, like, they always look like not people from from my living room couch looking at the TV, and then you meet them in person, and they, they look more human, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations, man. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, it, yeah, it's huge, and I just felt like I won, you know, I, I didn't come up to this position I'm in traditionally, and I don't have I I will be the first one to tell my cooks that I don't have tons of experience, and what I have is this this passion for learning, and I constantly strive to be better. If if I made something okay today, then I'd better make it better tomorrow, and I um I'm always learning and I always want to do new things and I always want to to push the boundaries of what people think I can do and what I think I can do and and um and I also you know I I run my kitchens differently than other chefs I've worked for and and I think what it seems like most chefs run their kitchen as and and I, I'm much more, uh, I run it more on a peer-to-peer basis, and um, I'm, a, I'm a fairly calm person. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I, I can think of one instance where I've yelled in a professional setting, and, and I usually, um, I try to lead through respect and foster a sense of learning, and uh, because of that, I, I have these cooks who, some of them have had no experience, and and now I think that they could hold their own in, in the hardest and nicest kitchens. And um, so, yeah, to 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 be working so hard and constantly have this imposter syndrome <laughs> where I feel like, am I really good enough? Do do I? I mean, do I really deserve this title? Do I have have I proven that I have what it? what it takes to make it in this industry that is so unforgiving, um, you know, to to start getting recognized for the hard work I've been putting in is it's a beautiful feeling. Yeah. I, I, God, man. The more you talk, the more I'm like, like how much of the same thread we're cut from. Like, I, I, I've gone through different periods where, like, I was, like I, I was thinking about you saying peer to peer, you know, running your kitchen, and I remember a time when I was like, like 
I would have people come back to my kitchen and, and we were in my first executive chef job in Long Beach was like went from this one dining room, 10 table place. And then we expanded and, you know, expanded into another dining room with a bar. And then, and then like over the course of a couple of years, we expanded like two other times, you know, to make this little freaking just awesome little spot. And, uh, I, I, I remember like, learning Spanish. I mean, I took, like, Spanish to be able to get my graduating credits for high school, and then I didn't use it until I started working back in kitchens, and then I really started to, like, delve into, like, understanding Spanish so that I had, you know, I had a sous chef that was, like, this old white guy. I was 23. He was 43, and, like, he was one of those guys that just would, like, start yelling louder to try to get the Mexican dudes that work with us to like understand him. I'm like, John, I'm like, John, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, he's like, well, they got to understand him. They got, and you know, and I, and we won't get into all the other things that he would say. And I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> not going to fucking work, dude. Like, and, and it was, I took that philosophy of like, if I can make them, if I can make my guys, my staff feel more comfortable about communicating with me, then like the ideas that we're going to come up with together because I know that they think about food, like they're they're cooking food fucking you know twelve hours a day, twelve hours a day you know five and six days a week sometimes, and uh, but I was like I would be like I would be like uh, you know like then I would let my sous chef and I, I'd be like well what are you thinking about like let's why don't we make that let's do that as a special on a Friday, and like for us. Then like I would have people come back to the kitchen. And they're like, "Oh man, that was fucking." I'm like, "I'm like, okay, everyone, just stop for a second." And Miguel right here, I want you to just thank him. Like, just go and tell him, like, because I didn't make that. Like he fucking made it. Like, but if it went wrong, if shit went sideways, like he didn't ever feel. You know, like my guys, I would never let them feel the brunt of that. Like I would just take it on the. No, like, no, for sure, you know, for sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But then, yeah. then there was a time when I was like, I was just like, you know, kind of ego out of control and the wheels were falling off and I was trying to hold it together by force and sure will and it was not pretty and then I came back kind of full circle of, but I've also had that experience, like my last experience in the kitchen was coming into a position that the company had never had before, running three, you know, being in charge of three kitchens with guys that had been working there for for 20 years and I'm like, and they're like looking at me like, okay, what are, what are you gonna do? Like, you know, like, yeah. How, how, are you, how, are how are you gonna How are you gonna command the respect of that that place? You know, I I totally know that feeling. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and coming from Texas, I totally know the feeling of being a fucking lero. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. It, it was one of those man, like where. A lot of the time, I mean, and I'm sure for you, I, I was the only white guy most of the time in my kitchens. Yeah. And, uh, if I didn't, yeah. If I didn't know Spanish, I was gonna. If I didn't know Spanish, I was gonna freaking. Um, I was not gonna survive. I was not gonna. Yeah, I can. I, was, I can speak. I can speak some really racist Spanish now. Uh, <laughs> not, not racist to Spanish. Spanish people or Hispanic people, but usually racist Spanish towards white people. Yeah, well, that's 
you know, if you don't, if you don't know, then you don't know. Or if you don't, you know, it's like you don't, if, if you're not entrenched in the culture, then you're not going to get it. And, uh, oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I know it well, now. I definitely have, um, it seems like, it, it seems like I, staffing a, a fast castle place where everything is made from scratch and every single item is made in the house and there isn't one thing that we don't do that you, it's, I mean, I can't take the burger test from fucking Wendy's and he, he won't be successful based on the knowledge that he already has. Yeah. You know, if, if I could take that person and if they have a willingness to learn and lose their pride and, and you know, and, and come in wanting to learn, I can take anyone. I can, I can have anyone in there and I can teach anyone anything. But it's like I get these people who it's either they don't want to learn or they feel like they're better than a burger shop. And yeah. um, and it seems like I just I lose someone and then I replace them with um, a Spanish-speaking person. And because, um, cause you know, at least around here they, they have this willingness to learn they're they're humble and um and then they come in and i they're surprised to know that i can actually understand them talking shit and then all of a sudden uh i have this they have this huge respect they're like oh this wero knows spanish and and so 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 that you know i i my sous chef is from guatemala and i would want him there to bring home my child when I have one. I, I, I mean, he is, he's easily my best friend. I, uh, I couldn't have asked for a better sous chef. I, he's, he's incredible. Yeah. I, 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 I fucking love it, man. Like, like, uh, it's, and it goes, you know, we could go on on like a political rant right now that like those, those people that my, I mean, I had like a bunch of guys from Oaxaca and it's been in, Salt Lake, it's, there's definitely a more of a mix of, and I see now with all the unrest, like in Central America and, and, and Northern South America with Venezuela and all that stuff, you see a huge more influx of Venezuelans and Guatemalans and, uh, but in Southern California growing up, like, I mean, it was almost strictly, like, not 100%, but it was, it was strictly like just mostly, I'd say probably like 90, 90 to 95% Mexican guys and, and women too, but, um, and, and just like, like I would get into these debates with people of like, uh, well, they're stealing jobs and this and that. And I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, I, I've tried to, I was like, have you ever worked washing dishes? Like in a kitchen that's busy? Cause I've, I've hired, I've hired some white kids and American high school kids or just out of high school or whatever going to college and they'll they I'll be lucky if they last one whole shift. And like Dude, and I, I, I feel like I feel like I can uh I can just totally like the experiences I have with young white kids who want to be in this industry, I can phrase in one sentence, this one kid told me he was working in my kitchen, and he's worked at Avenues and Pallet, and, and I think he works at Nomad now. And he looks at me, and he says, you know what my dream is? And I said, what? And he goes, to be the world's sexiest chef. 
And I just thought, what is wrong with you? And your priorities are so out of whack. Like, that's not... That's not why we're here. Like that's, no. if if that's why you're here in a kitchen, then then you know you, you need to reconsider your career. And oh. <laughs> and and it's and it's that it's that ego and this. I, I'm so tired of cooks with egos for no reason. You know. <laughs> I could tell you, I could tell you what I would have said. <laughs> What's that? No, at any point, at any point in time, I would have said, "Just get the fuck out right now." Get the fuck out. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it, we, and it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been that nice because I wouldn't have been smiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had I've had those moments uh, a little bit, and and I'm usually pretty calm about it. But it's usually I I think on it overnight, and I come back in, I show up to work, and I say, "Just turn around and leave." I don't need you here. I'd rather just I'd rather just work harder without you. Yeah, because you're making my job harder by wanting to be the sexiest chef in the world. That's freaking hysterical. <laughs> That's freaking hysterical. So hey, we said we I I said when we were gonna do this thing to plan on about an hour. Do you wanna do you wanna um, go a little bit more? Or do you do you wanna wrap it up on and enjoy your Sunday? No, no that, that was a, that was a that was a pretty freaking good. If we wanted to end on one, that was a pretty fucking good one. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, they, they had, that was awesome. The uh, the other thing that I that I think about is like some of my guys that were dishwashers that like made it up through the ranks and became like prep cooks and then line cooks and then like I have a couple of guys that started as dishwashers and now are like executive chefs at restaurants in Southern California and like. You know, they just perfect. They just worked it up, worked on perfecting a craft, and like took the next indicated step, and like had you know had an open. So what's uh, what's on what's on the agenda for you for uh, for the foreseeable future? Um. Well, today what's on my mind is uh, I'm having friends over later. I'm making some. Making like an answer chili rub pork loin with roasted delicata squash and I don't know maybe I made dude I made this relish the other day that I I I ate it all by the spoon <laughs> I I made this to put on my cauliflower steaks and and I ended up eating it not on anything it was so good it had um I did uh, three different acids because. Citric acid is so boring by itself. So I did apple cider vinegar and sherry vinegar and lemon juice, and I soaked golden raisins in that. And I toasted um, coconut and, and oil. I think I did pumpkin seed oil, and uh, with with super thinly shaved garlic. So it kind of you know brought out the sugars and and, and roasted in, in that oil a little. And then I minced jalapeno and I combined everything with turmeric and mustard seed and a little salt and it was incredible. So I think I'm going to roast the delicata squash and make that relish again and put the relish on the delicata squash. And I, I think that like super tart coconut garlic uh, relish will, will pair really nicely with um, with an anchovy rub pork, right? I think it'll be really right. good. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, the ancho, the ancho, especially, they, they, it gets that like kind of raisiny flavor. I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, what, t- what time so should, in- should I bring my family over? <laughs> you know, I I've even got toys for for kids because my ne- nieces and nephews, and so come on over, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's you know in in the in the distant at least a little more distant future. I I don't really know. I um, Food Network contacted me. They I felt very honored. They called me uh, to do a competition cooking show that I'm still talking about and thinking about if I actually want to do it. I, I would be leading my two brothers who can cook but are not in the industry uh, necessarily um, as a team against another chef and his siblings. And so I've, I've been thinking, do I really want to do this? Because I just feel like I'm going to make a horrible fool out of myself. On national TV, but um, but that's exciting and and then um, I don't know I I think I think the difficult thing about this industry and being a chef is is that one day things are amazing. You have this you leave work and you feel like I'm in the right place. This is going so well this is great um and then and then the next day it all falls apart and you think what the fuck am i still doing here and yeah. um and so i i i often i often think about moving on and and getting going somewhere different and learning something new and and i and i think i definitely would have already left if i didn't have the ability to continue teaching myself new things by um you know we put out four men four new menu items a week and i haven't repeated a single one in the entire time i've been and um at proper and and so because of that i i'm not as bored as i have been other places i i feel like i um i still have some time i still have some time there and business is booming. We're building a second story. Um, we're anticipating huge, huge growth. So we're 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 putting a, a second kitchen upstairs in this second story, and um, almost like you know, there's there's talks about opening other proper burgers, but I you know I can't officially say I'm not the owner, and so you know. Things are going well. That's pretty awesome, man. That is yeah. that is pretty freaking awesome. And and we were just um, voted best late night food in Salt Lake City uh, by City Weekly, which was super cool. And you know we got runner up best burger, but I feel like we won best burger because Lucky Thirteen won best burger and they've won best burger for the last fourteen years. So I, I feel like I feel like Lucky Thirteen winning best burger is like Orrin Hatch getting the Senate seat again. No one gives a fuck. You know? Yeah. And <laughs> Well Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, I, I just 
I just like I I I mean I don't want to um, talk poorly about any other restaurant on here, but but yeah, if 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 you've won 14 years in a row, then then are people even? I mean, are they thinking before they're voting? So right, yeah. So, anyways, we got we got runner up there, and and I I I you know to get runner up behind the Salt Lake institution that always wins. I, I feel good about it. I I hear that, and you know what's funny is that um, I'm not I'm I I'm not down by anything. Uh, when so when I moved here, I, I was I was working for Red Iguana. I moved here from it's it's so fucking funny, dude. So like. My wife and I decided that we were going to move out of Southern California because, you know, same thing as you saw in Austin is like to live where you wanted to live. Like we had we had to basically be making like a quarter of a million dollars a year, and that wasn't happening. You know, I was like, we're not going to buy a house in the area of Long Beach where we want to live, or even anywhere in Long Beach at that. Yeah. So we were like, let's move. I found that I started concentrating like my my um my uh job search in you know a couple of different areas hooked up with red iguana came out for like a they flew me out for a day and then they're like well why don't we have you come back out for like a week and then at the end of the week you know they liked me i liked them they're like when can can you be back next like a week from whatever day <laughs> like holy shit let me uh let me go talk to my wife and thankfully, we have family here. Like her, she, my wife grew up in Provo. Her parents still live there. Oh, yeah. She, her, she has a sister that that lives in in Salt Lake. And uh, and I was like, well, let me let me talk to my wife, and I'll call you. When, you know, I'll call you back, and um, and we'll figure something out. So I I came out, and but but going going back to the uh, going back to the um, you know winning something, winning a Salt Lake. Uh, so city weekly award for however many years in a row that was that was like red iguana i mean it was like they moved they moved red iguana to like the hall of fame and i wouldn't i would imagine where it was like okay you're just you're you've won it so many times like let everyone else go for it and <laughs> you know like like red yeah. iguana is not going anywhere you know they do some no. really cool stuff, and I was proud Dude, of the that, that we put out. That we put out. Yeah. But, you know, there were some other people like like I grew up with a totally, and, and you may have too, but like I grew up with a completely different style of Mexican food. Like the Mexican food that yeah. was like native to Southern California was like like from Michoacan and and uh, you know like the different little coastal cities where like taco yeah. bars and yeah. street style tacos were just that was all it was and they were like okay yeah moles I, you know like I, I'm like like if you went to a restaurant in Southern California that was like a nicer Mexican restaurant and they had one mole on on the menu you're like wow they're doing one mole and then you go to the right one <laughs> eight fucking Seven moles, moles like holy yeah, eight moles yeah dude but you know Tex-Mex um, is a is kind of a cuisine of its own, but it it all kind of stems from from like Jalisco and kind of those uh, those dry desert ranching areas in Mexico, and and so the first time I was introduced to Oaxacan cuisine, 
it kind of blew me away. I, I had so much flavor and nuance and um, it can be, it could be bold and still complex. And I, it, Oaxacan cuisine is, has quickly become my favorite Mexican cuisine. And, um, and yeah, I love the red iguana. I, you know, in Texas, people know about the red iguana when you talk about flexing. I, I, at least people who are in food and people love to talk shit on it because I guess they know about it, you know? <laughs> I don't know why, um, but it, they, they do amazing stuff. And, and their moles, their moles are no joke. I, I love mole. I could talk about mole. I could talk about mole for another hour. <laughs> but that it's funny because I had I I think I mentioned like my one job I had this all this whole group of uh, it was like five guys from a from one family and they were all from they were from Oaxaca and just some of the dudes that I'm still like like on Facebook friends with like two of them still and like we interact it's not like we're like oh hey but like i'll call them like if i'm going to southern california i'll be like i'll i'll, I'll send them a message and be like hey i'm coming to town you know and like um but they would they would it was amazing because they all lived together and they all had worked like two or three jobs and they lived like in a one or two bedroom apartment they each paid like 200 bucks a month rent and then would send like like this one guy salvador chava Little Chava, he would he would show me pictures of his fucking ranch in Oaxaca. He's like, "Oh, Hefe, you come, we go down for my ranch." And I'm like, "Yeah, right." And he's like, he like showed me the pictures, and I'm like, "He's gotta be fucking shitting." And like, dude, they just send all their money home to the fucking yeah. Oaxaca, dude, and have these like yeah. have these fucking gigantic places, and you're like, "Holy shit, we're doing it wrong." That's what I thought. I'm like, I'm doing it so wrong, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, man. Like the, the it's it's amazing. The um, I, I just get fucking blown away by all kinds of food and all kinds of culture and like everyone that I've ever, you know, most of the like there was dudes that there's guys literally that have been working at Red Iguana for for 20 years. That's and like, dude, that is in, that's insane. And they're like, and, 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 and like, like they, they've developed a way to do the moles. Like they get such depth of flavor. Like I was, I'm, I'm like, I was watching them and like, there was a couple guys that I, I really like, they under, like a lot of the dudes just only knew red iguana. And then there was a couple of people that were like, they were fucking like culinarians. Like they, like they could do all the the stuff, and then when I would have conversations with them about food, I, I just was remembering back to when you were talking about how you were presenting that burger and like or that chicken sandwich and how everyone resisted when you were, and, and I I got the same thing. But then there were some people that were like, like when you would start to talk to them about food philosophy and 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 why different components are going into different dishes or why you know like like you were talking about citric acid on its own or you know like like so i'm like i'm like you guys you know like why don't we try this instead of just lemon juice why don't we you know how, how about if you added a little bit of salt which is also an acid and they're like looking at me going like some of them just had this blank stare and then the other ones you could see like the, these few guys that were like 
oh yeah, right. Like, and then you, you make the one dish just how they made it. And then I'd go, well, here's what I did. And I, all I did was do these two other steps. So why don't we try that? And then they would try that and you'd see that like look on their face. Like one, <laughs> a, a little bit, of, one, 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 it was like a, a, the original look is like a, a little bit upset. And then because you're like, not sh- you're showing them up, but you're not doing it to show them up. You're just like, hey, I- I've done your way, and I've tried this way. Why don't we try that? Or if you like it better than great, if not, then we'll stick with your way because it's pretty damn good too. <laughs> but but then yeah. then that that changes from like that immediate anger to like, damn, that's fucking good, dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But but that there's there's a there's like a language that happens with people that that cook. That breaks down like like I found it breaks down every kind of barrier there is like when it comes to uh, language differences and cultural differences and you know the only the the only thing I ever see that changes in in cuisine is is the ingredients because the technique is always the same I mean like you know from from Mexican cuisine to Arabic cuisine to Italian to French it's like the techniques don't change. It's just the locality of where you're getting your ingredients from. Yeah, that's totally true. It's it's funny you say that. I I took piano lessons for 10 years and from when I was five until I was 15. And if I sat down to the piano right now, I I couldn't, I could read some music. I I would have trouble playing. I'm not that good anymore. And, And I never was great. And the reason why is because I didn't learn I didn't learn the, the theory behind it, and I really, you know, a ten year old I wanted to learn how to play the Harry Potter theme song, and um, I I kind of thought about my regrets playing piano when I really started to develop um, my skill in, in the culinary arts. And that I focus a lot more on learning technique, and I'm obsessed with food science. I I have like I have this really really complicated way to to hard boil an egg, but I can guarantee you that every single hard boiled egg I make, the white is perfectly cooked, the yolk is perfectly cooked. That's a perfectly peeled egg. And, and, you know, and I'm like, I'm like obsessed with stuff like that. I can't get enough of these, of of learning the the science behind it and the technique. And I think, I think because of that, I, that is why I, I think I am where I am. I, I think that's why my, my knowledge has quickly grown to be a lot more extensive than I think other people who, we learn how to make one dish and focus on on maybe recreating that dish over and over again. I, I would I would much rather learn the the simple techniques and the simple sciences behind behind simple ingredients and use those as building blocks to do better things. Oh yeah, it, you know what's funny is um, I play I, I play guitar and I was I. I I've been playing for a while, and I I actually did, I did it pretty seriously for not you know later in life, and 
like I had a friend that was in that was in a band like a, they they played like reggae covers and like the singer was really good at like freestyle rapping and stuff so they would like lay down a reggae beat and he would just like go from song to song and like kind of do fun shit and he he's like okay I want you to play at one of our shows and I'm like oh hell no dude and this is right like right when I was getting like even right before I got sober it was like leading up to before I got sober and I'm like I'm not I'm not doing that dude and he's like no, just one song, like, you're good, and, and so then I got up there, and, like, I played one song, and then, like, he's like, okay, so from now on, every show, you're going to play, like, one song, and then I'd play, like, one song, he's like, okay, now two songs, and finally, one day, he came up to me, and he's like, you fucking suck, and I'm like, what? He's like, you, you, he's like, you fucking suck, do you ever, do you ever, do you ever practice, and I'm like, yeah, like, at your house, and he's like, he's like, no, like one day a week at my house when we're when you're getting stoned and 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 we're boozing all day is not fucking practice. He's like, he's like, you got, if you want to keep playing, you gotta fucking practice because we're not. He's like, the guys in the band, we like you, like we love you hanging out and you're our homie, but you're not gonna like we're not seeing any improvement. <laughs> yeah. So I started, yeah. so I started like I started like really like I'd go out like I I you know I was. I'd go out like four nights a week and I'd play open mics. But I, it, so getting back, and the longer you get to know me, the more you'll understand how I tell stories. So I was, <laughs> my sister, my sister-in-law was over having dinner with us last night and, and like my father-in-law, he's like, he's got this amazing music collection at his house and like every time I try to talk to him about music, I don't know, like, it's like almost like he just does it intentionally like that he doesn't like me you know like he'll just be like i'm like oh yeah hey uh gary clark jr is playing at the uh, at freaking red butte uh where my buddies and i are going to go sit in the hills yeah i heard his laptop i just wasn't really impressed you're like, like fuck dude like like uh you know like hey you know like Led Zeppelin's getting back together. Oh, fuck those guys. I was never the same without John. You know, like, like anything that I could say, he would just like shoot down. So we, I was, making, yeah. I was, I've been making jokes with my sister-in-law over the last few months of like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I, uh, I thought like maybe I could just play a few songs on Thanksgiving, like for your dad and stuff. And she was, she was like, what are you going to play? Like stairway to heaven. And I, and I was like, Oh, <laughs> fuck that. Fuck stairway to heaven. No, I love Led Zeppelin. I fucking love Led Zeppelin. Stairway to Heaven is, what, is probably one of the top three least favorite songs of theirs I have. Oh, totally. And, o- totally. and only, and only because, only because, like, when, and it goes back to the theory and technique is like, like, any dude that wants to play guitar, they'll be like, I can play Stairway to Heaven. And then, what else can you play? Stairway to Heaven? And you're like, fuck you, you can't play guitar, you can play Stairway to Heaven. You're a fucking puzzle. <laughs> you know, like, like. Yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> but it just I, made me I, think about, about technique. Like, cause yeah. a lot of songs oh, yeah. are, a lot of songs are like fucking three chords or four chords in a different progression or like you change, like it keeps going repeated over and over or like a different, different strum pattern or whatever. And it just, but, but technique, it, it just made me think of that fucking stare yeah. out of heaven. <laughs> you, you know, it's funny you bring that up. I, my, the best roommate I ever had, one of my best friends and family to me now, um, he was a diehard spirit fan. And he, you, you know who spirit is, right? Yeah, spirit, yes. 
they were the ones that sued Led Zeppelin for stealing their song "Stairway to Heaven," and yeah. um, and I think they actually won. But he he would impose Spirit on everyone who talks about Led Zeppelin, and Spirit sucks. <laughs> they they're like they they are the epitome. <laughs> The epitome of dad rock. They, they're horrible. And I, he loved dad rock. Spirit, Little Feet, uh, the, the shittiest music. Yeah. Little Feet, Little Feet I could get down with a little bit. They, they, are, they have a couple of cool stuff, a couple of cool songs. But, you know, what's funny is that I saw Spirit with the fucking, like, God, it had it been like 1991. They played a free show at this place in Southern California called Mouth Square Park with the Doobie Brothers. Oh, that sounds actually pretty cool. It was fun. It was fun. Like, I, I, I went with my, co- my cousin and I were like nine months apart. I went with my kid and his girlfriend and I don't remember, but I just remember like, I remember Spirit and, and like, we both, I could call my cousin up and we'd still have the same conversation about the fucking drummer. We're like, the drummer's like 200 years old, dude. Like, like how's he fucking, how's he fucking handling those sticks right now? But yeah, but the highlight of that highlight was definitely the Doobie Brothers. I would see them anytime. <laughs> In fact, I think I've seen them. I think I've seen them like five times. The Doobie Brothers. No, no shit. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I grew up in a weird house. I grew up in a weird household. Like my, my, my parents got divorced when I was really young. But uh, my mom was like, my mom was like into Motown and like fucking country. Like, uh, you know, just like those weird phases. Like, uh, I'm sure, I don't know about your parents, but like, so my mom's like 71. Okay. And, And so like Motown was big. Like I had a lot of Jackson 5, fucking Supremes. You know, Aretha, like, and then, like, like she had, like, fucking Crystal Gale albums and, like, Kenny Rogers and, like, Willie Nelson, but that was, like, in the, in, like, the fucking early 80s, you know, like, when country was, like, it, like, it seemed like every fucking, all of my parents, friends' parents were, like, listening to country, and then, but my dad was, like, was, like, Seals and Crofts and, like, fucking Simon and Garfunkel and, you know, like, the other thing, and then, and then I had friends... Like I, my group of friends, like like I had one friend down the street, a couple of years older than me, and all we we would listen to the fucking Beatles, Pink Floyd, Bob Marley, you know, and then and then he'd have these fucking like rudimentary Ping Nai, no, you know, uh, uh, fucking Minor Threat, uh, yeah, you know, like <laughs> you know, we went to all these like all like then we were listening to like all this hardcore fucking punk music and and just like you know, but yeah. I grew up in a weird house, and then my 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 siblings. I have two older siblings that are like eight and almost eleven years older, and so they were graduating high school in the in the early to mid eighties, and so there was all that like in Southern California. You've probably heard of K Rock, but yeah, of course the radio station. So there was like you know the B fifty twos and Violent Femmes and like. So I just, I just yeah. I'm getting fucking goosebumps talking about music right now. I, I feel just as strongly about music as I do about food. I do. I do. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I feel like they go hand in hand, but then I look around and realize that's just me. When every kitchen I'm in, everyone loves System of a Down and plays on a repeat. 
That would have no place. That would have no place in my kitchen. I'll tell you that. No, it has, dude. It has no place in my kitchen. I, I feel like, um, you know that song? Is it by Disturbed? And it, it starts off and it's like, I, I, I it's, it. I call it, it. It's cock rock. It's like, um, look how big. That's like the rally. That's now. like the rally monkey song for the angels. Dude, it's like one of my cooks discovered that song last week i've heard it 40 times and i i want to shoot myself every time it comes on now and uh and i'm gonna and i'm anyway. gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you i'll pull the name right out it's gonna it's down with the sickness i think is the, that's it that's the it down with the song. sickness that's <laughs> it uh, yeah yeah it's horrible yeah. so 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 yeah yeah i'm glad that we share that yeah, we probably we probably would. I mean, I feel like now this is going to lead to like a friendship because we kind of kind of have a. I mean, I kept getting you getting business from you, and I'm I'm giving up on that. But uh, <laughs> it seems like we have a fucking shitload in common. Um, just you know, just uh, just talking for this for this hour and a half, and uh, yeah, yeah, man, it would be fun to fun to. Fun to to hang out on like a Sunday afternoon and you could come over and maybe I have this old ass um, like double barrel smoker that I'm oh, thinking about. Sweet. Like it, it needs a, it needs like a firebox put on the side and it's like old. It's, it's lived a long life, but it's like all oxidized on the outside and like bluish, you know, in certain spots, but it, it, it would be fun to, to freaking do some stuff on that. And like just have a huge cookout or like a holiday holiday uh, get together with a bunch of chefs. I'm I'm super down. I actually uh, my my in laws uh, are coming up for Christmas from Texas, and rather than doing the traditional te- uh, Christmas dinner because I'm bored of stuff like that, I miss barbecue. So I'm gonna do baby back ribs and a Texas style brisket and. I definitely would need to um, make sure that my recipe works before they come and I ruin Christmas dinner. So, <laughs> well, we'll figure we'll figure something out. We'll figure something out. Hey, Dan, we've been doing yeah. this for a little while, and I want you to go enjoy your. Uh, it's almost eleven o'clock. I'm on pot number oh, wow. two of coffee. So, um, why don't you uh, go enjoy your Sunday with your with your lovely lovely wife? I will. I will. She was telling me I need to take the dogs out right now, anyways. All right, bud. Well, I appreciate I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, you let me know um, when you want to get together. We'll I'll reach out to you after Thanksgiving, and we'll maybe plan a time when it's not so cold. We can we can throw some biscuits on the old freaking smoker over here. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, Daniel. Have a great Sunday, man. Thanks for thanks for taking the time. I appreciate hey. it. Ain't no problem. You have a great, great day too. Talk to you later. All right, bud. Later.